Good morning, church. Is your heart full? My heart is so full. Um, just that last verse that we sang that said, um, that God who called us here below will be forever mine. And some days that word below, man, it just really, it really feels like right now we are here below, but that will not always be the case. <laughs> and that we pray, we pray for those that God has sent us to be a light and has sent us to be salt in this world, that they will not always remain below either, that one day we will be lifted high and we will reign and we will be inheritors with Christ and that uh, as many as the Lord will call and that he sends us to, that they will not remain below either. Well, good morning to, good morning to all of you here joining us today and good morning to those of us, to those who are online with us. Also, we we feel your presence as well, and we know that you are, uh, you are with us. You are with us in our hearts. You are with us in spirit. Um, so I guess the QR code is up here. If you have your phone, I believe even at home, you can pull your phone out. You can scan that QR code, and that will take you to our scripture for this morning. That will take you to some other cool little uh, buttons that you can kind of uh, – wander through on our website, um, and I, I believe we have a video this morning. I don't want to be, I don't want to get out of order. We don't. I look, it looks like I'm getting waved out. Yep, okay, I need that signal. Okay, so I didn't get the memo. I'm sorry. I was just down at the front worshiping, and I uh, didn't realize. Okay, so forget the, forget the, the video part. Um, but we have a Grace Life welcome that we share every, uh, every Sunday, and I say this each time that I get the privilege to come up here and, and greet our church and our guests. It just, it, it never, I never tire of saying it. I never tire of uh, sitting in those chairs and just letting this minister to my heart, and if you want to say it along with me, even if you're at home and you want to say this um, and declare these um, just these, these wonderful uh, promises and comforts. To all who mourn and need comfort, to all who are weary and need rest, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares, to all who fail and need strength, to all who sin and need a Savior, to all who hunger and thirst after righteousness, and to whoever else will come, this church, Grace Life Church, opens wide her doors in the name of Jesus Christ and offers you welcome. And now, I believe we have our scripture. Yep, all right, thank you. So we're back in Romans with Tommy this morning, and, you know, I should have, forgive this mother of six, I actually didn't know the actual verse, so... Can someone, can someone holler out? We're in Romans. Thank you. Romans 4, 1 through 8. All right. <coughs> I just love grace life. All right. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. 
and to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteous apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, amen, and whose sins are covered, glory. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin, amen. morning, Grace Life. How's everyone doing today? All right, good. Why don't we pause for a minute and pray? Um, before I do, I just want to thank Courtney Wampler. She's our director of children's ministries, and she worked really hard to put a video together uh, celebrating what happened at a recent vac vacation Bible school. We had over, I think, 60 to 80 children that were ministered to. Many, many gospel seeds were planted and uh, she worked really hard editing a video just highlighting um, some of the stuff that happened at, at that, that camp that week. It was called Eureka Camp for good reason. So we had some tech issues this morning. It's not their fault at all. Um, so we're going to do that video another morning. Your, your labor is not wasted, Courtney. We're, we definitely want to celebrate uh, what happened that week and thank God for the fruit. And we're hearing more fruit. We baptized. We have baptized more young people at this church. Um, it's been pretty astonishing, the, the work that God's Spirit has done moving amongst our young people. They're getting the gospel back here. They're getting it at home. They're getting it when they sit in the, in the worship center with us, and I'm thankful for that. Um, so thank you, Courtney. Thank you, Jesus, for the work that you're doing with our children. We'll, we'll give you a visual of that on another Sunday, okay? Um, I'm going to pause and pray, and then we're going to jump right into Romans 4. You can leave your Bible open or leave your... Leave your tablet turned on or your smartphone, and we'll go through it together. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for those you've brought. It's a holiday weekend. I know a lot of people are traveling. Some people are still sick or are on the mend right now and, and needed to stay away. We're thankful that they can watch with us from home. We welcome them, too. We're grateful for technology, Lord, that enables them to watch from home. And uh, no doubt we'll see them soon when, when you have healed them or when they're ready. We pray that you would unite us this morning, Lord. We have no hopes of anything good or praiseworthy or enduring happening this morning apart from the work of your Holy Spirit. So we pray, please, please, Holy Spirit, come and minister to us. Open our blind eyes. Open our dull hearts. Remove these distractions that we bring with us, Lord. So many thoughts go through our minds, some trivial and superficial and trite, and some just really heavy that may prevent us or, or deter us from hearing what you have for us today, Lord, and even applying what we hear to those thoughts that are overwhelming. So please come, Spirit, do your work. Open our hearts. Help us to see with new and fresh and clear eyes this truth. We've heard it so many times before. We've read these passages so many times before. But, Lord, so often you, you want to show us something new that we've missed. And when that happens, it's glorious. It's another eureka moment, another aha moment when the, when the gospel penny drops in our heart and, and we get free. So I pray that would happen again today. Thank you for those that have been praying already and prepared. Thank you for the, the ambassadors teaching and serving in the back. I pray for those children as they hear these messages and from the teachers that you would open their hearts, God, for them to receive Christ. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
Well, the massive problem for us is how you and I can get right with God and stay right with God. That is the massive problem. And this book, the Bible, is the story about what God has done, not because of our performance or because of our works, because of our good deeds, because of our earnestness and blood and sweat and tears, but in spite of our flawed efforts, what God has done in spite of all that to make us right. And right is a good word to use because the Bible uses a word called righteous or justified. Those are both the same word. We haven't hit that mark. We haven't even aimed at it. We failed because we're broken. We're twisted. Our hearts are not right. We're astray. So what has God done to put us right? This whole book is a story of what God has done. And in particular, this chapter really hones down on that, really narrows down on that. Paul wants us to, to make sure that we understand that. It was not through our gradual improvement that we were right with God. It's not through our resolve, our resolutions, all these new Leaves we want to turn over, um, they wither and they die, don't they, when it's our effort. That doesn't work. It's not through our obedience. It's through the work of another. It's through the perfect life of another. It's through the perfect performance of another. One who is spotless, one who was promised. The Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. We're saved through a transfer of trust. We transfer our trust from ourselves to him. And that's called justification. That's called faith when that happens. And that's a major doctrine in the Christian life. And so today, I just want to show you three things about this doctrine that we call justification by faith alone. Just three things, just from these eight verses. So we can get our outline up. Here it is. And we have communion today. So we're going to sweep through this, celebrate communion, and then we're going to send some fifth graders into the next uh, step of, of church life for them. We've got a lot to do today. So let's get started. Point number one, we struggle to embrace this. It challenges our minds. It's counterintuitive. We don't really get it. It's so unnatural. It feels so wrong. Point number two, it's the only way God saves. Paul's going to show you this is the only way God has ever saved a human being, period. It doesn't matter which testament you're in. It doesn't matter which epic or dispensation of time you're in. Paul's going to prove that. He's going to take two case studies, Father Abraham and King David. He's going to show you they were saved the same way that you and I were saved. The direction's different. They look forward. We look back. The object is the same. It's Jesus Christ. They look forward to the promised one. We look back to the promised one. It's the only way God saves. It's the only way he has ever saved. It's the only way he will ever save anybody. And third, this fills us with endless hope and endless joy if we, if we tap down and dig down into it. That's why we're doing that today. That's why Paul has spent so much time, and he's not even done. This is just warm-up in chapter 4. We've got a whole other section that he's going he's gonna to prove, he's like, again, I use this analogy, Paul is like a skilled prosecuting attorney. He's in a courtroom, and he knows you don't believe, not the gospel. He just knows you still haven't fully tapped down into what justification by faith alone means. 
So he is up there, and he's making an argument. He's making a case, and he's leaving no no stone unturned. And that's good for us because we need every stone turned over that we can get because this is so against our natural grain of thinking. And we'll start start there, point one. We struggle to to believe this. This challenges us. This is hard for us to embrace. This doesn't feel right to us. We live in a wages-earned, wages-paid, services-rendered economy, don't we? Nothing's free, not even a free lunch. (laughs) Have you ever been out with somebody and they're like, I got this one, and you're like, strings attached. I don't know what they are, but I know this is conditional. And so when we hear about unconditional love, when we hear about something that's actually free to us, not to God, God, it costs God everything to justify us and make us right, but it's free to us. It's an unconditional promise. It's a one-way covenant, so to speak. We're suspect. We're suspicious. We feel like, at what point is Paul going to say, we've been trying to reach you about your car's extended warranty, right? We don't believe it. This is a scandal. This is a robocall. This is something. Because we don't think this way. It just doesn't feel right to us. Have you guys ever been on a, uh, one of those glass walkways up high? We don't have a whole lot of those in America. We have one for sure in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, and it goes over this yawning canyon down below. And I love, I don't know, maybe I'm sadistic a little bit. I love watching videos of people when they walk on those things. Have you ever seen them? They got one in Asia. It's like, (laughs) I don't know how high it is. But, man, the guys that engineered that glass, they have made it to when you walk on it, it starts making cracking noises. (laughs) Have you seen that? And people absolutely flip. That's wrong to do that because sometimes people have heart issues and they shouldn't. Anyway, this one is just called the Gatlinburg Sky Bridge. And you're walking over thousand a, a thousand feet deep canyon and everything within you is telling you yeah look at that how would you feel standing right there would you be wondering how thick is this glass is this bulletproof is this tommy proof is is this had lunch at you know <laughs> waffle house proof i'm pretty heavy on this thing everything with all your senses are reeling they're confused they're saying step back get away get off this unsafe We're allergic to that kind of thing, and Paul knows we're allergic to grace. It doesn't feel right to us. It feels counterintuitive to us when we're told this is free, this is beautiful, this is blessed, this is wonderful. We say, this glass is going to crack. This can't be right. I walked walked the uh, St. Louis Arch. It's one of the tallest man-made structures uh, in the world, certainly in America, 630 feet. Not the tallest, one of the tallest, made out of stainless steel, and at the very top, there's this walkway. And the guys that engineer this, they, they have to be snickering when they watch this. There's windows. How many people have ever been to the top of the St. Louis Archway? Okay. There's windows at the top that are angled. You have to lean over and put your face in the window, and you see 630 feet down, and your body tells you you're falling. And I'm not afraid of heights at all. I've never been afraid of heights. But I climbed up this thing, and I leaned over, and I felt sick to my stomach for a minute. I had to step back. I had to step back. And I say that as an illustration because most people say, I'm not allergic to grace. I love grace. You're like, oh, you do. You, do you love grace? You, lo- you get this doctrine of justification by faith alone? Absolutely. And you start talking about what it means, and they say, wait a minute, that, can't, that doesn't sound right. No, it doesn't sound right. It doesn't sound right. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't look right. That's why Christianity is so unique, utterly unique, and distinguished from all other religions in the world because every other religion in the world, which is false, will tell you that services rendered, wages paid. That's your salvation. Here's your five steps to becoming enlightened. Or here's the pathway to nirvana. Or you got to do this pilgrimage. Or you got to go here. 
you've got to keep these rules, keep these laws, and then ta-da, you're in. And that's your assurance if you did it right, if you did it good enough. Sarah and I heard the testimony of a Muslim um, a few nights ago. We were listening, and she was telling us what the, what the uh, Amman or the Shema, whatever the leader was in, in, in that particular movement, told her, if you don't memorize the names of all 12 Muslim leaders, there's going to be an angel of death that's going to visit you in your grade the first night, and he's going to ask you, what are the names? of Just say pastors. What's the names, first, middle, and last, of all 12 pastors? That's the first test whether or not you're made right in that religion. She said she was terrified. She had a real memory problem. She couldn't remember anything. Times tables, nothing. And she said, I was petrified. And then she discovered Christ. She discovered Christ. And they're like, there's no, there's no test. Do you trust in Jesus and only in Jesus for your salvation? No, the angels are going to come and they're going to carry you away into the bosom of Abraham is what they're going to do. They're not going to be testing you. But that sounds and feels so wrong to us. There's got to be something that we do, right? Paul, Paul knows that. He understands that. So that's why he spends so much of his time because he knows that trust, trusting in our own effort feels right to us. And he also knows that uh, we know we've done some bad deeds, uh, but we know we've done some good deeds too. And C.S. Lewis said this once. He said this. He said, nobody really knows how bad they really are until they try really hard to be good. Right? <laughs> I don't want to elaborate too much on that. You'll have to think about it a little bit. It's uh, the people that are bad don't even try to keep the law. They're bad. They don't, re- they don't even know what temptation and resistance is. It's the people that have tried really, really hard to keep God's law. They really know how bad they really are because you can't control your thoughts. Like right now, do not think about a pink elephant. Don't you dare. None of you in this room envision a pink elephant in your mind. How you doing with that? How you doing with that? Don't covet your neighbor's belongings. How are we doing with that? You ever tried to do that? They pull in with a brand new 2021 pontoon boat. Uh-huh. <laughs> Paul's going to get to that in Romans 7. You know, that was the commandment that got him. That was the one. If you had, if you, <laughs> this is off script, guys. If you had to come up with 10 commandments, you, you ruled the world and you wanted everybody to flourish, and you could only list 10 commandments, would one of them be? Don't covet other people's stuff. What? Who's that hurt? Who's that hurt? Seriously. I mean, if I steal your stuff, if I punch you in the face and steal your stuff, okay, we, that hurts you. But if I'm just sitting here thinking, man, I wish I had, that was my pontoon boat. I want that. Who's that hurt? God says, you're an idolater. You've broken my law. That's what C.S. Lewis meant. Until you've tried really hard, you don't know how evil and twisted and wicked your heart really is. But God does. And in those dark moments of the night, we know it too. We know it too. We're trying so hard and we just can't do it, God. Well, this is a good news chapter for you. You ought to be camping out in this chapter because you're not made right by your efforts. You're not made right by your obedience. You're made right by the obedience and the efforts of another that were spotless and they're, they're given to you as a free gift. They're put on your account. That's the title of this sermon today. Put it on my account. I grew up in, a, in the South and there were little... There were little mom and pop shops everywhere. When you, when I was a carpenter, and I would help a guy do, do some laying pipe in a field irrigation. And every little mom and pop store, we didn't really carry a lot of cash. We'd say, "Hey, put it on, put it on Keith Hall's account. He's my boss." I bet people, I bet people try to do that that didn't have any clue who Keith Hall was. They just heard me, and they're like, "Put it on Keith Keith Hall's account." They're like, "Keith Hall, yeah, whoever. Put it on Keith Hall's account." That's what this doctrine really is. It's what it is. It's put it on Jesus' account and put my sins on 
put my sins on his account and put his righteous, perfect obedience on my account. What a transaction. That's what justification means. There's a word imputed. It means taken from outside of you and put inside of you. The righteousness of Christ put in you, your guilt, your condemnation, your curse, put in him. That's a trade I'll take any day, right? I'll take that one. And it can never be, never, never be overturned or canceled. So you've got assurance. You didn't do anything to get it. So guess what? You can't do anything to lose it. <laughs> if it's the real thing, you can't do anything to lose it. Listen, if you and I, let me make this less personal. If I could lose my salvation, I would have already lost it in the first 12 minutes of this sermon. Because my motives are all twisted. I really want you to like me. I want you to think I'm clever and I'm articulate. Can I just be honest? We're in church. I want you to come up to me and say, Pastor, that sermon changed my life. Not necessarily Jesus did, but the sermon that I wrote did. Right? I'm just, I'm just keeping it honest. I would have lost my salvation already because I stole from God's glory. I'd lose my salvation every day if I could. And if you're honest, you would too. That's why this doctrine is so critical. You didn't do anything to get your salvation. Hallelujah. Jesus is my righteousness. He did it all. I did nothing but receive it passively. I passively received it by trusting in him. That's what faith is. That's what faith does. That's what faith accomplishes. But Paul knows we don't get that. That's awkward. Faith is awkward. We're allergic to grace. So he spends a whole chapter, really two chapters, three and four, proving this from the Bible. And he's brilliant. He's talking to New Testament Jews in Rome. And Gentiles, but it's the Jews that had this hang up. So you know what he's going to do in a minute? He's going to say, hey, I'll tell you what. I'll prove it from the Old Testament. I'll prove it using one scripture. I love, I love the Greek language because Paul says in a few minutes, he says, what does the scripture say? And I looked at it, I'm like, that's singular. Is that a translational error? No. I would think, what do the scriptures say? He says, no. He says, I can refute your allergy to grace. One scripture. That's all I need. I'll take one scripture from the Old Testament. And completely revolutionize your argument. He took one scripture, Genesis 15, 6. And we'll get there in a minute. Um, faith, faith is awkward. Look at verse 4. I guess I need to turn to Romans here, don't I? Sorry about that. Verse 4 says, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. How many people in here, when you get your paycheck, and maybe different today we get direct deposits you may not ever even meet your employer and may never get a, a personal transaction where they hand you a paycheck and say good job son or daughter or whatever um, but how many of you when you get your paycheck from your employer you fall down on your knees and you say you are so gr incredibly gracious and kind to give me this <laughs> most of us look at them and say that's not enough I need more they're holding out on me right Paul knows that. When somebody pays you for a job that you do, you know what we put when we, when we used to write checks and somebody would come and fix your dishwasher because it kept breaking over and over? What, what would you write in the little memo? Services rendered for the repairman. He provided a service. I paid him. He may thank you to be polite, but you owed that to him. In fact, if you don't pay him, you're actually breaking the law. He could take you to court and sue you and probably win. It's a legal issue. Your employer is not being gracious to you to pay you. They're paying you what they owe you. In fact, until they pay you for what you've done, they're actually indebted to you. Did you know that? They owe you that as a debt. 
And Paul is saying, don't ever, ever, ever think of salvation as something God owed you. A red light ought to start going off. This alarm should start going off, going, like you're no longer in the grace realm, you're in the works realm. And Paul says in verse 4, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And then this is a gut punch to the proud heart, verse 5. You ready for this? He's winding up. (laughs) But, or now, to the one who works, excuse me, and to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. His faith is counted as righteousness. To the one who does not work. Are you working, are you working, Christian, for your right standing with God? Do you think that you're holding that thing up? It's like the the joke I heard about a fly in an airplane. It was a 747 airplane flying over the ocean. And uh, one of the guys was going to the restroom. He saw this fly sweating, just like hovering in the air. And he's like, what in the world? What are you doing? And for the joke to work, the the fly talks miraculously in English. And the fly said, what do you mean what am I doing? I'm holding this thing up. (laughs) Well, that's funny, isn't it? (laughs) Imagine the nerve, the audacity. Dumb, poor fly. Well, is it any different? You and I thinking, man, I'm working so hard to keep my right standing with God. I've had a great week, so we're going to be all right today, which that's another sermon for another day. Your week's probably not as good as you think it is when you lay it next to the mountain of Sinai of the Ten Commandments, right? So are you, work, are you working so hard? Are you working so hard to make sure that God loves you today and that that love will continue through tonight and hopefully when you wake up in the morning, You've still got the smile and favor of God on your life. My friends, can I just tell you, that is the most miserable life you could live. And there's, there's tons of religions out there that will offer you a version of that. There's perverted and cultic versions of Christianity that will offer that to you. Maybe you've walked in some of those. Paul is saying, come and drink deeply from the fountain of God's grace, and you'll never go thirsty again. You'll have courage, you'll have fortitude. You will be galvanized to face suffering. You won't have a proud heart when you do have a good day and you're crushing it in your devotions and you're memorizing scripture and you're leading people to Jesus and your prayer is just out of the world, articulate. Oh, if somebody could hear me pray, I, I believe I brushed up against angels' wings there. You won't, <laughs> failure won't go to your heart and success won't go to your head when you get this doctrine. It's incredibly powerful. That's why it's so incredibly important. I think I have a few. Uh, I think I have a few slides. Martin Luther. This doctrine was at the center of the Reformation. This is what Martin Luther said about the doctrine of justification by faith alone in Christ alone. And that word "alone" is important. Faith alone, not faith plus works. Faith alone in Christ alone. He said, "The article of justification that just means the doctrine. The doctrine of justification is the master and prince, the Lord, the ruler, and the judge over all." kinds of doctrines it prevents and governs preserves excuse me it preserves and governs all church doctrine and raises up our conscience before god without this article the world is utter death and brokenness or death and darkness it sounds like this is pretty important from one of the premier reformers got another quote for you from another reformer john calvin he said this whenever knowledge of it that is justification by faith alone is taken away Whenever the knowledge of justification by faith is taken away, and it was in the dark period when the Reformation hit, 
the glory of Christ is extinguished, religion is abolished, the church is destroyed, and the hope of salvation utterly overthrown. Sounds important to me. Does it sound important to you? Do we have one more? Do we have time for Martin Lloyd-Jones? He's my, he's my hero. He's one of my heroes. He says, uh, this is the clearest statement ever made concerning justification. He's talking about Romans 4. The clearest statement ever made concerning justification. If this verse does not make us see the true meaning of justification by faith, nothing will. There is nothing beyond this in Scripture, Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he's talking about the one statement that God justifies the ungodly. If, if you were to think that God justifies us based on our good works, then you would have to think you're a pretty, pretty godly person, right? Think how utterly devastating this argument will be in courtrooms. And it's in Scripture. This is infallible. God breathed it. Paul says God justifies the ungodly. Argument overturned, man. That's the only kind of person that God will justify is an ungodly person. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Pretty amazing. The word, the word for credit, which is found 11 times. This whole chapter reads like a ledger or a, a banking statement. Mark, you could probably read this pretty clearly. The whole, this is banking language, account language, ledger language. Uh, it means to credit, to credit to your account. It's, it's a fun word to say in Greek, legizomai. Anybody want to try that? Legizomai. It sounds cool, doesn't it? Uh, that just means if, if, I, if, I, if my son Jackson has a banking account and there's $100 in there, and I say, Jackson, I love you so much. I'm going to give you everything, my whole life savings, and we're going to put it in your account. He would then have $102, okay? <laughs> that's, what that, that's what that word means. It, mean, it means to, trans, to transfer, to transfer, to put it, on, put it on your account. And it's all throughout this chapter. So you see where I want to go from here. Let's go to point two. There's more to say, but we'll, we have this, this next section next week. It's what I'm thinking of, how much I want to share here. Point number two is this is the only way that God saves. So what Paul does next, he knows this is so awkward, this is so counterintuitive, this feels so wrong to us that he is going to have to get this notarized. Have you guys ever had to get something notarized? It's kind of inconvenient, isn't it? And if you don't know somebody who does a notarizing, you have to pay somebody and now they come to your house, and during COVID, it's weird. They have to get a mask. We refinanced our house once, and it was a, when COVID was still around. And so somebody came to our house, and they said, do you want me to wear a mask? And they had to sit there, and we had never met them before. It was just odd, the whole thing is. But that makes it official. When you, when you buy a house or refinance a house, or you do any kind of major financial transaction, somebody has to be there to say, this is legit. This is real. I'm authenticating this. I'm making this official. And Paul knows that we're so, we're so opposed to what he's telling us, he has to make it official. He has to prove it. So he calls two witnesses in. He calls two witnesses from the Old Testament. And man, does he know how to pick them. If you were a Jew and somebody were to ask you, hey, who are the heroes of the Old Testament? Who would you say? Which names would you say? Abraham and David. Father Abraham, right? He was the first official Hebrew. Genesis chapter 12. He was the man that God made a, an unconditional covenant with and, and sealed it and signed it with blood. He was the man who would be the father of all the faithful, Father Abraham. He knows that if he can prove to you 
that Abraham was justified by faith and not by his works, then the argument will be over. And that's what he does, and he uses the Old Testament. Let me just read the first part of this, because it starts out with Abraham. Here's what, here's what Paul says, 4-1, chapter 4, verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Gen- Genesis 15, 6 is what he's quoting here. Abraham believed God, and it was legitimai, it was credited, it was counted, computed to him as righteousness. So he takes Abraham and goes way back to Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. This is before some of the famous things that Abraham did were recorded. What's one of the famous things Abraham ever did that God said, now I know, now I know, now you know, Abraham, that you're following me. What was it? What did he do? He took his son and he offered him up on top of a mountain, his most prized possession. I can't even imagine. I have four sons. I can't imagine any of them, me taking up to a mountain and raising a knife up. Abraham obeyed God to that extent. But do you know when God told him that he was justified? It wasn't then. That was chapter 22. Chapter 15 is what Paul quotes. Paul knew, man, he knew his Old Testament scripture, didn't he? He said, I'm going to prove to them that not only was Abraham justified by faith and not by works, he was justified before he did any works. (laughs) Did you know Abraham was justified before the law of God was even given? Did you know that Abraham was justified before he was circumcised? That's next week. I mean, man, Paul slam dunks this. There's no way anybody could have a reasonable objection to his argument. Abraham did nothing. He believed. This was right after God came to Abraham in a dream. He said, Abraham... Don't be afraid. I'm your shield. I'm your very great reward, and I'm going to bless you. You're, gonna, you're not going to be able to number uh, the stars in heaven or the sands on the beach. I'll give you more children and offspring and grandchildren than them, even though Abraham was 90 years old. And listen, humanly speaking, there wasn't nothing he or Sarah could do to have kids, okay? Nothing they could do. This was going to be all of God. And so God brought Abraham outside, and he said, look up in the sky. And something really strange and mysterious happened to Abraham in that moment. It says he believed God. He believed God's promise. He didn't just believe generically, I believe in God, or I believe God's good. He believed that God was going to provide exactly what God said he would provide. Offspring from Abraham's loins that would be a promised one to be a Messiah. The gospel was preached to Abraham. Through your seed, all the nations will be blessed. And it says that Abraham believed God. And in that very moment, Abraham became a Christian, Old Testament style. He was justified. Sometimes people have asked me, hey, Pastor Tommy, how were people in the Old Testament saved? And I have this long, elaborate, it's, it's in Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek. Are you ready? Same way. <laughs> Same way. That's, that's my answer. How were people in the Old Testament saved? Same way we were. Except they looked forward, we looked back. I don't care what kind of mumbo-jumbo you may hear from some theologian talking about the dispensation and that and the dispensation this. They were saved by grace through faith alone. Right here it is. This is the doctrine. Same way that that David was saved. Same way that David was forgiven. That's what what their hope was, was based upon. These were two Jewish Hall of Famers, and that's why Paul chose them specifically to prove this. And... We also see that if you read the Old Testament, that Abraham was not born a Christian. 
I hear that sometimes. People say, I was born a Christian. I say, no, you weren't. You were born in sin. Um, you don't, listen, you don't, Christianity is not in your DNA. I'm sorry. You know, you don't ride the coattails. I'm not trying to be facetious. If this shocks you a little, that's good. It's, it's, you don't, uh, you don't have the faith of your parents, okay? They can, they can pass on their biblical worldview, but they can't pass on their faith. <laughs> uh, God has to do that. You have to believe. Nobody can believe for you. Nobody can repent for you. You have to do that on your own. And there was a time when Abraham believed God. He was a pagan idolater. Joshua 24 says that Abraham's father and Abraham's family were called from Ur of the Chaldean. They worshiped the moon god. They were pagans, idolaters. And God called them. He called them out, and he called them to, to, to a place uh, that he would make the promised land. And then in Genesis 15, Abraham, his faith became personal in God. He became a Christian. What do you give the man who has everything? You give him righteousness. That's the one thing Abraham didn't have. He was very wealthy. He had flocks. He had servants. He had everything except righteousness, and God gave that to him in that moment that he believed. And because of that, Abraham had nothing to boast in. I mean, if you see Abraham in heaven, you say, man, I just, you're my hero, bro. I just, I read all the stuff that you did. You were going to, like, sacrifice your son and everything. And you, like, you and those 400 untrained people went after your nephew Lot. And, man, that was awesome. You're, you're awesome. And Abraham's going to say, you're crazy. <laughs> I'm not awesome. I'm no hero. I was a pagan. I was a pagan. I had nothing to my name. And God came to me. And he blessed me. And he made a promise to me. And then he gave me a name. He changed my name. My name was Abram, and he changed it to Abraham, father of a multitude. And he said, through your loins, I'm going to bless. And Jesus came for me. He says, I have no boast at all. Boast is kind of another key word in chapters 3 and 4. Abraham had nothing to boast in. And neither do you, and neither do I. God gets all the, he gets the glory. It's our story, it's his glory. That's what it's all about. Okay, last point, and we'll end with this. This should fill us with endless hope and joy. This should fill us with endless hope and joy. I want to read the last part here. Verses 5, 6, 7, and 8. To the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. And by the way, Paul is implying here that Abraham was what? You can say it. It's okay. Ungodly, <laughs> right? Abraham was ungodly. You're, you were ungodly. I was ungodly. We had nothing to our name, nothing to add, nothing to, nothing to uh, the cross, I, nothing to, in my hands I bring simply to the cross I cling. Sorry, should have written that down, huh? Abraham, it's implied he was ungodly before he was justified, and that's true, and you and I were too. He says, justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. And then verses 7 and 8 is a quote from Psalm 32, which is the psalm about, how many people know what Psalm 32, the occasion, do you remember? David had sinned. He had committed adultery. Some people say more than that. He had assaulted Bathsheba, committed rape. We don't really know. We're not given the details. But he took Bathsheba and he slept with her. And she was married, so he committed adultery, and then he tried to keep it secret, so he had her husband murdered. So adultery, murdered, covetousness, uh, bearing false witness because he lied, he was deceitful. Some people say David broke every commandment when he sinned with Bathsheba, and there could be a good argument made for that. 
We know two he committed for sure. Adultery and murder, right? And listen, those two sins are capital offenses in the Old Testament. There is no provision made for those sins in the Old Testament Levitical code. None at all. You're done. They can get rocks and they can go after you. So let that settle for a minute. King David, man after God's own heart, committed adultery and he committed murder. And yet, and yet, when the prophet came to him and David finally confessed his sin, Nathan the prophet said, you shall not die. God has put your sin away. How in the world does that work? Nobody had ever heard that. How would you feel if, if you were Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, if you were her, if, if you were his mom? How would you feel? Your son just got murdered by the king, and the prophet says, hey, you're exonerated. God forgives you. Well, David sat down, and he wrote this psalm right after that happened, and this is what he says. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not legitimize his sin. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. In other words, David's sin, he committed adultery, he committed murder, and yet God did not impute that sin to him. God imputed it to somebody else. Who did he impute it to? Jesus. Instead, David got a blessing. He's saying, I'm so blessed. And I think so often, friends, we just, we don't, I don't, this is a prayer that ought to come off our lips when we, when we meditate on justification by faith alone. We are so blessed. Do you know what the opposite of being blessed is? Being cursed. In the Old Testament, there was a word for that. Woe. W-O-E. Woe. That was a curse. Do you remember Isaiah when he had this vision of God in Isaiah chapter 6? The throne room was filled with glory. The train of his robe filled the whole temple. For the first time in his life, Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. And when he saw God for the first time, he saw Isaiah for the first time. And what did he say? Woe is me. You know what that word means in the Old Testament? It means I'm coming to pieces. I'm disintegrating. I'm coming apart at the seams. Literally in Hebrew, that's what it means. I'm coming to pieces. Isaiah said, I've seen the Lord, the Lord of hosts, and I'm coming to pieces. But the opposite of woe is I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I'm whole. I'm put together. I'm flourishing. I'm healthy. I'm at peace. I'm shalom. Those are the two opposite extremes. David got blessing because somebody else had to get cursed. Jesus came and he said, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor, blessed are the persecuted. How could Jesus pronounce all these blessings on people? Because somebody had to take the curse. The Bible says, cursed is the man who hangs on a tree. Cursed is the man who tries to keep the law for his justification, the Bible says. So listen, Jesus came apart at the seams on the cross. Do you know that's what happened to him? He was torn to pieces. Not just his flesh, he didn't resemble a man, Isaiah says. He was marred beyond human recognition. But spiritually, psychologically, what happened to Jesus, being forsaken and being abandoned by his father, having his father's face turned away from him for the first and last time in history, disintegrated Jesus, tore him apart, ripped his soul to shreds. Can you imagine hearing, hearing those words away from me? In Matthew 7, it says there are going to be many people who come and stand before Jesus on the day. They're going to say, Lord, remember it's me, it's Tommy. I did all the, I preached sermons, I led ministries, I had a Bible, I talked about it. And Jesus is going to say, for those who were not justified by faith, he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. 
That's what all of us deserve. Do you know who heard those words for you? Jesus heard those words on the cross. He said, my God, my God. And God said, I don't know you. Depart from me. I forsake you, son. I banish you. And Jesus came apart at the seams. And he cried out, that terrible cry. That's what you and I deserve. But instead of that, do you know what we get? We get, instead, it's not just that we get taken off of the death row and, and we get escorted off of the, the guillotine. We get the, the medal of honor pinned to our chest. It's as if we've lived the perfect righteous life of Jesus and we're treated as such by God. We're covered by the righteousness of Jesus when you trust in him. It's either, you've got two options, guys. You can go for the righteousness of Christ that you get free by faith or you can put your own righteousness on on that day and see how that works out for you because a lot of people are banking on that they don't know that they are but when you press and you start scratching the surface and you start and you start asking them questions like hey what confidence do you have that God loves you today and and that you belong to him and that he is yours forever what confidence do you have when you start listening to some of their answers well I'm, I'm trying my best that, that literally scares me to pieces when I hear that from people that, that, that go to church. They go to my church when they hear that I'm thinking, Lord, am I not preaching the gospel every week? Am I, am I misleading people? Am I not emphasizing this enough? Because that, my friend, is a works-based answer. How do you know that God's going to let you into heaven? Well, I'm, I'm, I, man, I'm a deacon or I'm an elder or I go to church. I tithe, pastor. Pastor, I give 10%. Pastor, I'm there every week. I teach children. I change diapers, Pastor. Come on. God's going to respect that. No, he's not going to respect that. For your salvation, he's not. I mean, he keeps a record of every good deed you do in his name. And he captures all your tears in a bottle for all the times you've been wrong. But when it comes to this matter of justification and being put right with God, none of that is going to make a scrap of difference. If you're trusting in that, you're like a person who's trusting in a spider web to catch a boulder over your head when it's dropped on you. I can't, I can't, I can't think of human language to, to tell you in what danger you're on. You're standing on rotten planks in, on, on that Gatlinburg Canyon. Um, friends, trust Jesus. Trust only in Jesus. And you're justified. It's taken care of. It's settled. And we forget that so often that we have this reminder every single week, and we're going to move into that now, we have communion. The reason we have communion, the Lord's Supper, is to remind us. Jesus' body was torn to pieces. Jesus' soul was torn to pieces. He was broken so that you and I can be restored, can be put back together. Jesus' blood was, was shed. He was, he was a slaughtered lamb so that you and I, so that you and I could be sheep that would be led in the green beside still waters and, and go and graze in green pastures. He's the good shepherd. He's the best shepherd. He laid down his life for us. His broken body, his shed blood, and we get freedom from that. Man, that is good news. That will fill your heart with joy and with endless hope, no matter what happens. I told somebody the other day, I know, I'll, I'll put my, this is it. This is the last thing, okay? I told somebody this the other day. I said, you know, man, there's a lot going on in our world right now, isn't there? There's a lot of hopeless, scared, anxious people. To some people, it's never looked this bad or felt this bad or felt this uncertain. So dark, so dismal. People are so angry. They're so on edge. People that have been friends for decades are now not even talking because of something as dumb as where they stand on a vaccine or a mask. 
And I'm sorry, when it comes to friendship, that's a very dumb thing to lose a friend over. But people are no longer, let's agree to disagree. It's like, I want you to go away. I hate you. Or if you're on social media, you should die for that. You should die for believing that or not believing that. And not just that. I mean, the Bible says that the love of many will grow cold in the last days. It says many will fall away, meaning they were never, they were never justified to begin with. That's another sermon for another day, okay? They're not losing their salvation. They were just deceived the whole time, and they deceived a lot of people. But aren't we hearing more people that fall morally, and then the next thing you know, they don't identify as a Christian any longer. And you're like, what? Or this person who was, uh, who was a, a, a pastor or a ministry leader that was put on a platform, and maybe you came to Christ through their, through their ministry, and then you hear later they abused women, they were sexually inappropriate, and you're like, what? You're, we're hearing this more and more. A lot of this is social media. If something that happens thousands of miles away, we hear that day, right? But there's wars, there's rumors of wars, there's pandemics, there's plagues, there's wildfires. I've never heard or felt more like end time stuff than I have right now. And I'm not into the, is it the fourth blood moon? Is it the fifth? Is Jesus coming? 88 reasons he's coming in 88. Let's not embarrass ourselves saying silly stuff like that. No man knows the day or the hour. But Jesus says it will be like birth pangs. I've never had a baby. But I've watched my wife have a baby and... I've seen contractions and labor pains, and I know two things happen. They happen more frequently, and they get more intense. And Jesus said the return of Christ is going to be like a woman in birth pangs, and the baby's getting closer to coming. And so guess what? The contractions are getting more painful and severe, and they're getting more frequent. And I feel that right now, don't you? Some people, some people are ready. They're like, hallelujah, Jesus, come back. I'm done. Some people are not, they're just scared. What's that going to mean? Are we going to go through the great tribulation? Listen, guys, I say all that to say this. You need to dig down deeply into this doctrine. Jesus has got you. He ain't going to let you go. He'll turn you every which way but loose, okay? You're his. You're in his grip. Nobody is greater than, than God who has you in, in the palm of his hand. Your name is written already on his thigh. You belong to him. He has sealed your identity and your future with his blood. There's nothing in this world that can, that can steal that from you or take that away from you. And, man, I need that hope. This is a dark time. But I, I, t- I told my mom the other day, and she's listening. Hey, mom, I love you. Um, don't watch the news. <laughs> There's never been a greater time to be a Christian than right now. I believe that with all my heart because the, the light shines the brightest in the darkness, right? We're supposed to be salt and light. So let's go out there and be salt and light. Let's take communion. Ser- servers, come down here. Let's, let's prepare our hearts. And the children who are in the back, um, if you have a child who has professed faith in Christ and you want to celebrate communion with them, then by all means, you, you, you go grab them. This is a family event, okay? This happens to be your first time to ever celebrate communion. Uh, let me just say a couple words as they're preparing, and you're preparing your heart. This is what we call an ordination. It's, it's an ordinance that God left us with along with baptism and what I just did up there, preaching the gospel. Those are three ordinances that God gave us, and they're powerful. They're powerful reminders of the grace of God and that our sins can be forgiven. 
because we forget and we need visual reminders. I'm a visual learner. Maybe you are too. I've been told 60% of the world's population are visual learners and the rest of us are liars, right? So God gave us a visual reminder. We are actually seeing, we're seeing uh, juice. This is not wine and it's not blood, okay? We're seeing juice and we're, we're handling crackers. We're tasting this. All, God wants our senses to be involved in this reminder of, uh, of our assurance. So there's, I want to be careful. This is powerful, but this is not magical and it's not mystical, okay? Just like baptism, it's just water. We did a baptism last week. That's a picture of what happens when we are put under, we've been buried with Christ, raised to walk in newness of life. And this is a powerful reminder of the assurance we have of our sins. And, and we're told to do this together. I know there's times when we go and serve somebody at communion who's homebound or sick, and that's wonderful. The most powerful way to, to celebrate communion is all of us together, just like it was uh, the night that Jesus was betrayed and arrested. So I'm going to pray. These servers are here to serve you. These, you're wearing gloves. This is prepackaged, so the safest possible way that we can do this during a pandemic, okay? Um, but if you, if, if you feel troubled by what's going on and you feel vulnerable, that's okay. Nobody, I promise you, nobody here, well, I can promise you I'm not. I don't know about the rest of you. Nobody's going to judge you if you don't partake. Nobody's going to think, oh, my goodness, they're unclean. What did they do, okay? You, if, if you are trusting in Jesus alone for your salvation right now, if you're believing the gospel right now, today, and you're trusting in Christ alone, you take this as a reminder. It's a more powerful reminder that's visual, okay? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for assurance. We need assurance, Lord. We doubt. We forget. We have misgivings. Um, we start climbing down into our heart, remembering things we did or didn't do, remember things we said. And it just sets us off. We think, if I confess that, Jesus, forgive me of that, Lord. Give us assurance today that because of Jesus Christ, every sin we have ever committed and every sin we ever will commit in a moment of, of, of weakness has been forgiven and paid for in full already. Whether we remember to confess it or not, Lord, you have taken care of all of that. May this be a powerful reminder, God, as we celebrate communion today. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice, for shedding your blood for allowing your body to be broken and torn, for thorns to be shoved on your head, knowing you would be forsaken by your Father, and yet willingly doing that for the joy set before you. Thank you for that. May this be a powerful, a powerful morning for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey, guys, can we put a slide up? I had one that I didn't get to use by J.C. Ryle. It's a... It's a you're looking for something to settle your heart. Here's what J.C. Ryle said about assurance. Can you guys see that? He said, assurance goes far to set a child of God free from this painful kind of bondage and thus ministers mightily to his comfort. It enables him to feel that the great business of life is a settled business. The great debt, a paid debt. The great disease, a healed disease. And the great work, a finished work. And all other business, diseases, debts, and works are then, by comparison, small. That's such good news. I want to read what I read every single week, or every single month, rather. I want to read this text from Romans. We're going to jump forward just a few chapters here, if you'll permit me, to read something from Romans 8. If you still are, are unsure, like, but pastor, you don't know. 
You don't know what I did. You don't know what I said. You don't know that thought that I had the other day. Surely God is angry with me. Surely God has said, you know what? That's enough. I'm so tired of forgiving this guy. Listen to this. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's just another way to say To those who are covered by the righteousness of Christ, there's no condemnation. And in the very last part of that chapter, he says this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written? For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. Isn't that good news? Well, this is what Paul told us about when we celebrate this. He said this to the church. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So... I'm going to pray and thank God for this. And then you're going to maneuver this thing. This is hard to open, guys. Just fair warning. Don't spill it all over yourself, okay? There's, there's two different pill-offs. One's for the wafer, one's for the juice. Let's thank God for what he did. Lord, again, we thank you. We can't thank you enough. Words are inadequate. God, we, we just sometimes feel like groaning. <laughs> God, just thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you so much. You gave the most precious gift that you could possibly give. To reconcile us to God. You gave everything. You gave your best. You gave your all. And you freely gave it to us. You don't resent that, Lord. You would resent it if we didn't believe, if we didn't partake. Love kept you on the cross. It wasn't nails that kept you there or the Romans or the taunts or the jeers of the passerby. It was love, Lord. So we give you thanks today for your broken body and for your shed blood. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's do this together. This is his body. And this is his blood. You guys, y'all can be seated. Hold on to these, and we're going to dispose of these in a basket at the back. That way we don't stain up the floor. These things spill out if they fall over. Somebody will be in the back with a basket. We got some announcements we're going to do at the end of the service, but it, for now we we maintain our tradition. Have we got a? Yeah, we got a hymn ready. We're going to uh, sing together. The Bible says that night after they 
celebrated the Last Supper together, that Jesus and the disciples sang a hymn together. And so that's a Grace Life tradition. We do that, and then we'll have some announcements, and we'll, we'll uh, recognize some, some young people, and we'll be dismissed. So, Cal. Do you feel the world is broken? Do you feel the shadows deepen? Do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? Do you wish that you could see it all made new? all creation groaning is a new creation coming and is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst it is and is it good that we remind ourselves of Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah, who conquered the grave. He is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. Is he worthy? Blessing and honor and glory. Is he worthy of this? Yes. Does the Father truly love us? He does. Does the Spirit move among us? Is Jesus our Messiah? Hold forever those he loves. He does. And does our God intend to dwell again with us? He does. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? break the seal and open the scroll the lion of judah who conquered the grave he is david's root and the lamb who died to ransom the slave from every people and tribe every nation and tongue he has made us a kingdom and priest to god worthy is he worthy of 
of all blessing and honor and glory. Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Is he worthy of this? He is. never forget that you are worthy of all glory, honor, and praise. In your precious name we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Got a new member on the worship team today. All right. <laughs> well, we have uh, something special that we're going to do this morning. Uh, a lot of churches have something that they call Promotion Sunday. Um, we're going to call this Sending Sunday. We've We've got some... K through fifth graders that we're going to send uh, into the, the next steps for them, which is going to be joining us in the, in the auditorium. But what we're going to do, we're going to cut our live feed or at least put up a, uh, put a, a slide just for privacy for families and for children. We want to take extra precautions because the internet can be an incredible blessing and it can also be a liability. So if you're from home, we're not cutting you off forever. We're going to bring some of these kids uh, on stage and, and celebrate them and pray over them. And we have a gift for them. And uh, Bree Patterson, she serves with our children. She's going to come and help me this morning. So if we're all squared away up there, guys, very good. And by the way, can I just pause for a minute and say I want to thank the Lord for, uh, for selfless servers like we have in our tech booth. There were so many things uh, that weren't jiving this morning. And those guys, Charles, uh, thank you guys. Y'all made it all come together. I didn't know if we would have lyrics for the song. I didn't know if we would have slides for the sermon. I didn't know if we would have anything. And God enabled them to bring it all together. Um, so pr praise the Lord for y'all, man. That's, thank y'all. And so, Miss Bree, how many Bibles? That we're we're going to actually got five children, and we got five gifts of Bibles that we're going to give out. So uh, I don't know if I should grab the microphone, maybe. We should do it that way. Do we have the cards for? All right, do you want to read the names? <laughs> passing that microphone over. Alrighty. You want to call them up? Um, sure. Um, well, Let me hold see. that. All right. We're going to trial by fire here. Here we go. Okay. We have Caden. So if you hear your name, come on up. This is my teacher voice. Um, we have Noah Carnathan, Evie Carnathan, if you're here, Jackson Clayton, and Hannah Patterson. If you all are here, if you would be so kind as to make your way to the stage. All right. I think those are the two. <laughs> I think those are the two that we have today. Okay. And then do you want to switch places and kind of pass them over? Yeah. Here we'll switch now. Yeah. See, I just wanted to make sure the names were right. I knew this one's name. Um, listen, guys, we are so thankful for what God has done uh, in the back in K through fifth. We're thankful for your faithfulness to come and for your parents to bring you. We're thankful for the ambassadors that taught you. We're thankful for the 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 seeds that have been planted in your life, and we're seeing fruit from that already, and I have no doubt that God has incredible things, uh, and I know not all the kids could be here this morning. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll pass these gifts along to them, but the church has, has gotten these Bibles. This, 
Pilgrim's, not Bibles, I'm sorry. This is Pilgrim's Progress. You know, this is the, I'm told, this is still, outside of the Bible, the number one best-selling piece of literature in all of history. John Bunyan wrote this. A lot of this he wrote in prison. For 12 years, he was in prison for uh, preaching the gospel. And so uh, he wrote this book, and this is, it's, it's, a, uh, it's kind of an allegory of the Christian faith uh, taught through one man's journey, a guy named Pilgrim. So if you're not familiar with this, you should pick up a copy. But uh, this is one for you, Jackson, and a card for you. And Hannah, this is your book and your card. And we're going to pray for you, and then we're going to send you on, okay? So this is my son, Jackson, so I can put my hands on him, all right? I'll lay hands on you, and this is this is, is Bree's daughter. <laughs> so we're <laughs> this is kind of personal for us, okay? <laughs> Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the faith that you are granting to the young people in our church. Thank you for the fruit that we are seeing uh, budding in their young lives. Thank you for the trust that we are seeing that they are placing on Jesus and for the mighty things you have for them in this world. Lord, this is such a, a dark time, but you are building up um, sources of light in, in the young people that you are saving and sending out into the world who are unashamed, utterly unashamed of calling Jesus Lord publicly, Lord. And I pray that you would accomplish mighty things through them. Give them a courageous faith. Help them to fear you, to obey you, to make radical sacrifices, to take the name and the fame of Jesus Christ into all the uttermost parts of the world, Lord. And may they take the batons of leadership, Lord, when it's time, and, and, and take this church into the next season of fruitfulness, we pray. Thank you for them, for their parents, for the, the, the ambassadors that have served so selflessly uh, to teach them and train them up, Lord. And I pray all these things in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, young people. <laughs> Thank you, Bree. And now we have some really important announcements to make, and then everything's always really important, isn't it? You wouldn't listen if I just said, we got some, uh, some you know, mediocre things to talk about. You should probably just leave. <laughs> no, these are all important, and I think I got a couple more slides. Here we go, community groups. Man, I'm so excited. People, I have never been asked as often as I have the last month, and Diane, you could probably, uh, Diane went back in there. You could probably attest to this too. I know, Megan, you could. People were saying, when are community groups starting up? When are they launching? We pushed back a little bit more this year. I've been calling other churches to see. I think we were eager beavers in the past. We wanted to launch before Labor Day happened, and that was still the first few weeks of school, and everyone's schedule was still getting adjusted. And so we are launching community groups September 13th. That's, uh, that's next Monday. That's the week that community groups are going to be meeting. And we actually have five groups uh, that we are launching this year, and listen, I want to encourage you, I, please, please pray and consider joining a community group. That's where you live out your faith, that's where you practice the one another's, that's where we do outreaches, that's where we fellowship, that's where we go deeper together in the sermons and Bible studies. Uh, it's just a great time to connect with other people. Uh, Christianity on your own is a very bad idea. Uh, the Lone Ranger is the Dead Ranger when it comes to the Christian faith, right? So we've got five different locations, five different uh, facilitators, five different hosts where you can connect with people in this church. And so we are encouraging you on your way out, there's going to be a way for you to sign up. Somebody will be back there. I think uh, Christy Roth is going to help you. You can digitally sign up. Um, 
If you have any questions, we'll do our best to answer those. But community groups are launching September 13th, but sign-up starts today. You can sign up today. Talk to Christy. Raise your hand again. That's Christy in the back. She's going to be in the, in the foyer when you walk in here, the lobby. Um, so that's the first announcement. And there's also going to be a laminated uh, QR code back there that you can take a, a, a picture of with your phone. That will take you to the sign-up. There's going to be an iPad down there that you can do that too. So community groups launching. Here is the other announcement for today. A few weeks ago, we gave away a book written by Dane Ortland called Gentle and Lowly. And that book helps people who maybe feel like they've been defrauded by a false Jesus out there. Uh, the false Jesus, you know, that, that uh, holds out on you when you need help the most. This is an incredible resource, and it was given generously by a grant and a donor at Crossway Publishing. We have 200 copies of this book. There's not 200 people even in here. I know that, okay? Um, so if you did not get a free copy of that book, we want to pass that on to you today. That book is going to be stacked out in the lobby. Please pick up a copy of it, and when you get a chance, read it. There's already people in this church who are reading that book, people that are getting together, talking about it. There's a study guide you can get on Amazon. And that was their hope when they gave this gift from Crossway is that churches would start talking about this and have small groups together. It's a great book, and it's based on Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 that I preached on a couple weeks ago when Jesus said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. Um, Come to me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's a great passage, and it's the only place where Jesus says, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. It's the only place in the Bible where Jesus says, this is my heart. If you're reading a website, and it was on Jesus, and it said the about me, you clicked on that, and it would drop down, and it would say, I am gentle and lowly. <laughs> okay, that's what the book's all about. It's about the real Jesus that helps real sinners and real sufferers. So please get a copy of that book on your way out. Uh, Wish I could tell you that we bought all those. We didn't. It was a gift from Crossway. We're passing on to you. So that's it uh, for the announcements. You can stand up. And here's the final thing. Yeah. As you stand up, we're going to do the charge together. Uh, the, the drama club here is about to start some official productions. And that means they're going to need all the stage room up here. And we have taken some of our stuff and we've stored it. And uh, mo mostly over here, Mike, I think. We've stored a lot of our stuff over here, and she has asked us very nicely that we would put it down there so that it's not in the way. When the, If you've ever been in a play or production, they know all the space they can. So could I get some muscle from some of you guys? The more we have, the less time it'll take. As soon as we dismiss here, can you come up here, Mike? Can you help us? Uh, and Diane will be up here, too, and we'll direct you, carry that stuff down there, and that'll be done. And that's our way to serve the school. They're, they're so gracious to let us leave our stuff here. We can be gracious by moving our stuff and by throwing away your, your little uh, cracker and, and juice boxes when you leave. So we say this every week. If this is your first time, don't think we're a cult. We have a chant we do when we leave. It's a reminder. It's a reminder that the gospel you just heard, it's not just for you. Don't keep that to yourself, okay? There's a whole hurting world out there that needs to see the hope that you have, the radiance in your face, and they need to hear the reason for the hope that is within you. So this is a reminder. Let's chant it together. Are you ready? I am a witness. I have been called to minister to my neighborhood in both word and deed. God has given me his word to equip me, his spirit to empower me, and his love to motivate me. I pledge my life for the gospel.
you have been sent. God bless you. Men, come and help us. The rest of you, we'll see you next week.